2: In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's episode is with leadership and diversity specialist, Sarah Taylor. She's the author of a new book called Filter Shift, How Effective People See the World. We're going to be talking about what exactly it is to uh, to filter and to filter shift specifically, and how we can gain the ability to see self, see others, and see an effective approach. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Really appreciate being here.
2: Pleasure is mine. And I, I was sharing with you my interest in this particular interview because we both have a passion for diversity and inclusion. But before we get started, I think it would be beneficial for the audience to kind of know your journey and path towards getting to where you got to today.
1: Yeah, exactly. And probably not what most folks would typically think about, even just knowing that I'm a a diversity and leadership trainer and consultant. Uh, You know, what your listeners don't know is that I'm a white woman. And I think most folks would think, well, wait a second, you know, what's what's a white woman doing in the world of diversity? And, you know, I, I actually tell a little bit of a story about that and about also using the definition that we use at Deep Sea for Defining diversity. The way we define diversity is differences that may make a difference. Hmm. So if you think about it, it's very contextual. In one setting, the difference that makes it a difference can be, frankly, different. And so just want to tell a quick story um, explaining that definition. It also gives a sense of how I, as a straight, white, middle class woman, made my way to the world of diversity. And that is a little bit about, you know, growing up. I grew up actually in rural Midwest, grew up actually on a farm, youngest of 10 kids. And, you know, you can imagine, you know, there is diversity in every community, but not the kind of diversity that folks typically think of. Certainly no diversity of race, not even a whole lot of socioeconomic diversity. But the difference that I remember making a difference when I grew up was religion and even there you know not the kind of contentious divisions we have today say between islam and christianity and judaism but it to me it felt even more contentious it was between catholics versus lutherans and that frankly was one of the biggest differences uh in the community that i grew up in and i grew up you know as with all faith based traditions and spiritual traditions lots of values that are passed down and the one that i remember most was you know what, Sarah, no matter what you do in life, no matter where you go, no matter what you accomplish, no matter who you meet, just don't date a Lutheran boy. <laughs> and, and then of college, I went off and joined the Peace Corps and went to the Dominican Republic for four years. Came back after four years with my black Latino, only speaking Spanish at the time, divorced with two kids, husband. But guess what, Ty? He's Catholic. <laughs> so i so i scored one for the whole team there but you know, it's a great example of how yeah you know, again differences that may make a difference and my parents never imagined that particular difference ever even entering into play hmm. you know and you also realized I and mean, they never said to me sarah you know no matter what you do don't ever marry a lutheran girl you know, another context that never even imagined. And so the way I think about our work as diversity and inclusion practitioners is it's really helping people to understand those shifting contexts and the fact that today a different difference may be the one that makes the difference. And so how do we build that foundational competence versus, you know, just handing people a list and, okay, here's what you should do, the top 20 things if you're interacting with someone from the South, or a top 20 list if you're interacting with someone from Germany. You know, that, the first of all, those lists aren't all inclusive. And secondly, then what do you do when that's not the group that you're interacting with tomorrow? Yeah. So, my work over my career has really been that to build cultural competence and seeing it as that overall effectiveness as we're interacting across difference. The long-winded way to say hey, that's how i made my way to the world of diversity <laughs> and inclusion.
2: It's it's so funny because um, you know my company is called UID and we're aligned in more ways than you, you you think. UID Media and UID Management. Mm-hmm. UID stands for use your difference. Mm-hmm. Use your difference to make a difference. So that's that's my mission statement, and that's nice. That's, that's been the uh, the bedrock of everything. And my difference was the fact that I am a Nigerian who grew up in five countries and four continents across, you know, um, you know, if throughout this first 17 years of his life and constantly being the minority. That's fabulous. And, oh, well, yeah, It wasn't my fault because it was my dad's job, but it was one of those things where it wasn't intentional, but finding yourself in those positions, you'd learn how to really communicate across cultures, build competency, but also use your difference to make a difference. So when you're yes. talking about the importance of the different differences Making a difference. I was like, ah, there, there's some alignment. <laughs> so that's cool.
1: That's fabulous. So I love it. I love uh, it. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: th- 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 let's talk about this, uh, this, uh, how differences affect us today because your book, Filter Shift, how effective people see the world. What is the basis and, um, in, and uh, theory that you're running off of?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the basis really is about how we can be more effective, and that this is actually a competence that we can build. And really drawing from my work as a cultural competence practitioner for the last 25 years, and the frameworks and processes that we developed over that period of time. So it's, first of all, lays out those stages of development and stages of effectiveness, as we do in cultural competence. But the other piece that does is it talks about how to develop to get to that last most effective stage in a much more effective way. So one of the things that I've done over the years, like a lot of cultural competence practitioners, is, you know, I've used uh, an assessment, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners that are familiar with the diversity and inclusion practice, might be familiar with the IDI assessment, the intercultural development inventory. And it's an assessment that helps us to see which of these stages of development that we're in. And again, looking at it at it as an ability to, to actually develop. So we use that tool in our uh, my company for a number of years and then helped people to develop to that last stage. And Did it in essentially in the way that's the best practice for cultural competence, which, you know, if you ask any cultural competence practitioner, how do you do that? How do you actually develop folks? They'll say, okay, well, it takes 40 hours of intentional development work. And, you know, essentially, we're going to just look at a whole bunch of different cultures. Today, we'll look at one culture and tomorrow we'll look at another. And, you know, after we do that for about 40, hours, folks will develop. And we did that over and over and over again. And people did develop. But what I started to see was that as they develop, they made some very key developmental shifts. And I started to say, well, what if we would just teach those key developmental shifts? And when we did, we were able to reduce that process from 40 hours down to just nine. And that's the process that I lay out in filter shift, how to go from the lesser effective to the more effective stages in the most efficient way.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So then you came up with the, you know, obviously the filter shift as you were doing all the studies. And mm-hmm. as you define filter shifting, mm-hmm. filter shifting allows us to see the complexity of the filters that are, are play in our unconscious mind, both our own filters and the filters of others. And then you can then respond to the misunderstandings that are much less obvious. Why I, I thought it was so important. Yes. Yeah, I know. Why I thought it was so important for you to, to go down through the background of what you were saying is because it really painted the canvas of the world that we live in. We have all these complexities and diversities that we have, but our brain takes in 11 million pieces of information each second, but we're only able to be conscious of 40. Yes. So (laughs) how do we deal
1: with this? How do we filter shift? Exactly. Exactly. And that's so bizarre even think about from 11 million to 40 but it gives us a sense of how much really is in our unconscious and how much our unconscious is deciding for us the other thing that um, i say to make that point i will frequently ask people and i ask them usually i ask this question when i'm giving a presentation and what i usually get is silence and just dumbfounded looks because folks don't know how to respond i'll say okay tell me what's your next thought going to be and people just sit silently looking at me. And they're dumbfounded <laughs> because they realize, uh, I don't know what my next thought will be. And there again, that comes from brain science from Benjamin Libet, University of California, that realized, you know what? The reason why we don't know what our next thought is going to be is because that thought is formed in our unconscious. And our unconscious decides for us, this is what makes sense. Yeah. And if you think about that and go back to that statistic that you mentioned, That 11 million to four, our unconscious is also drawing on a lot deeper well, a whole lot more information. And then again, it says, this is what is going to be what's important. This is what I'm going to pop up into the conscious mind. And so for us to be our most effective, we've got to get in front of that. We've got to realize how is my unconscious dictating for me right now? And we know that what it's using when it makes a decision about this is what we should think, this is how we should perceive this, it's using our filters. And our filters are formed by all of our past experiences. And you know, since I don't share the same past experiences as anyone else, I don't have the same filters. So I can't be guaranteed that they're going to see the exact same situation in the same way that I'm seeing it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I love it. That's And that's so true. So it's you know, I guess recognizing, learning how to recognize the, the patterns and figuring out how we react to certain things so that we can be more conscious of those behaviors. Um, and I, yes. I, it's very, it's much more pro, uh, problematic when it becomes really unconscious and it affects your hiring, firing and promotion strategies in the workplace because to the outside world and to yourself, you might not think that you're, you know affecting other people's livelihood but then if you look at your workforce you can see that it looks like a certain demographic and you just haven't noticed that because you just
1: yeah that's right weren't able to process that um that's yeah Mm -hmm. no go ahead go ahead well i was gonna say actually i've got a story to tell about that that illustrates that and it's actually a story of my daughter on an international flight so my daughter as a mixed race young woman uh she's certainly she's more racially ambiguous but very obviously not white um she got very big black hair that she wears naturally wears the natural texture she's on this flight and she's in the the exit row and uh you know what happens in the exit row they come around they say hey you know you're willing and able to perform the duties and functions yada 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 i need a verbal yes so the flight attendant says that to them and my daughter was sitting in the middle seat and she said, the, the young woman, also about her age, but white, sitting next to her, said, mm hmm. And my daughter said, I literally in my head thought, okay, I'm going to mimic who you just said it, and I'm going to say, mm hmm, as well. <laughs> so the white woman says, mm hmm. And then my daughter says, mm hmm. And then the flight attendant says, uh, I need a verbal yes or no from you because I need to know that you actually speak English. You know, just yesterday, we had someone sitting in this row that gave us the mm-hmm. Then we go around, we do the service, and they obviously didn't understand anything we were saying. We didn't understand anything they were saying. And you know what? We were at risk that whole flight with that person because they didn't understand English. <laughs> so my daughter just took a deep breath and said, yes. And then they moved on. Wow. Now, most folks, when they hear that story, they go to, you know, in a sense, you know, my daughter and her experience and and feel badly for her and feel some empathy for her. And this tells you, Ty, both, you know, what my work is, but it also might tell you, maybe I'm not the best parent because I didn't think about my daughter right away. I actually went to the rest of the plane. And the fact that we still don't know if that plane and the people on it that day were safe, why? Because we still don't know whether that first woman spoke English. That's what happens many times when we look at how this impacts in our organizations. So this is not just about, Oh, we should think about unconscious bias in hiring because we need to help out these folks that are marginalized and aren't getting a fair shake. Do we need to do that? Yes. But you know what? We need to think about this is about the plane that we're all flying together. And what are we doing to create the best plane, the safest plane, plane that, you know, the folks next to me are the ones that are the best able to help me. And what am I missing? Both because I've got a bias, a positive bias for people that look like me and potentially a negative bias for people that don't look like me. And all of that then impacts again. It's not just impacting that person that doesn't look like me. It affects me, and it affects my whole organization and all of the decisions that we're making. That's why it's so important. I,
2: that's such a fascinating story for me. Just listen. I'm putting myself in your daughter's position, and I'm also understanding mm-hmm. the, the metaphor that you, you described. All of us in the plane and making sure that we're all safe. And mm-hmm. as, I, as I'm sitting here trying to build empathy for the, the, the flight attendants, I'm wondering what would you have advised her to, to do in that situation? How would you have advised yes. her to a- ask that question?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, first she's got to realize that she wasn't consciously responding there. <laughs> that was all her unconscious filters. Mm. It was her unconscious filters that decided that she didn't even need to ask that first woman. And that's the piece that she's really got to be able to see. She's got to see that this is about her effectiveness. It's not about, okay, all of these new people coming onto our flights that look different from me and I got to be nice to them. Is that a piece of it that will eventually happen? Yes. But the real piece is how effective was I in that situation? And this is about my job and about me doing my job in, in the best way that I can. And So I think that's a piece that's also forgotten, too, that we don't think about it as our own effectiveness. We just think about it as, oh, you know, we're just we're supposed to do this stuff or, you know, go to that diversity training and, you know, I'm going to be blamed and shamed and all of that kind of stuff and told how I'm wrong and how I'm a racist or a sexist or whatever. But that's not it at all. It really does get down to how effective are we. And that's what she would have to see in that situation as well.
2: Yeah. 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 I, it all starts. I think it's important to recognize and emphasize that if you have a brain, you have a bias and it's not, it's not a, an indictment on, on you as a racist or a sexist, but you know, whatever we live in, we have certain systems in place that have normalized certain behaviors that you might not recognize, but other people yes. might recognize. And, uh, I think that's, I yeah. think that, yeah, I think we all need to just come to a level where we, Understand that there are many things that we're unconscious to and we have to make it an active effort to say, what are my biases and why can I work towards that? Then Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's so cool.
1: Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and certainly a piece of that is just, you know, letting go of this thing of, you know, bias is something bad. Bias isn't bad. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. It's what all of our brains do. If you've got a normal functioning brain, you've got it. And so this isn't about we're going to, you know, we're talking about people that are ogres or mean. Uh, No, we're talking about all of us. And so for all of us to just let go of that and say, okay, what do I need to do now to be more effective? Yeah.
2: Yeah. no, I love it. So let's talk about effectiveness with our interactions across Mm -hmm. cultures. I I shared with you my story of Mm -hmm. learning that from an early age and that's Mm -hmm. what fed into my world. In your study, you've, you've done this for over 25 years. You've worked at several organizations from all sizes. Why do you feel like so many of us are so ineffective in our interactions across difference?
1: Yeah, I think first of all, because we just don't realize that it's something that we have to develop. And we just think about it as, well, I'm nice and I've got you know good intentions and we stop there. And we need to realize that good intent doesn't necessarily equal good impact. So that's another question that I ask a lot of folks. And I will say, you know, what do you think? Do you agree with me? Because I believe that the vast majority of us enter the workplace on a day-to-day basis with positive intent. And what I see when I ask people that, again, probably tens of thousands of people that have nodded their heads in agreement and said, yeah. So if we're all entering the workplace with positive intent, we want to have we want to be productive, we want to have positive interactions, then why are there any misunderstandings and conflict at all? It's because we actually haven't built the ability to match that positive intent with an equally positive impact. So we've got to actually develop that ability. And again, it's really a small percentage of us, about 15% that have a general sense of what's going on in, in, of differences to a level of complexity but only about two and a half percent of us that actually are able to see and respond to be our most effective so that leaves all the rest of us that are missing it and we yeah. don't know that we're missing it and so then if i don't know that i'm missing it and you know i think again going back to the bias thing bias is something that only bad people have and i'm, I'm not bad so i don't need to do any of this work because i'm good. Yeah, no. And again, not looking at it as it's, it's a competence that I haven't developed, so I've got to develop it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the world is just becoming more diverse, more globalized, more digitalized. So our interactions with people from different cultures are going to be an everyday thing. So if we don't make that conscious effort to say, hey, okay, I need to, I need to understand how I'm interacting with people. I need to understand where other people are coming from and not think that my way is better than the other way it could play into dangerous, uh, uh, just dangerous interactions and dangerous stereotypes that are
1: perpetuated. Yes, it's so very true. Yeah, So yeah. very true. And again, all controlled by our unconscious. And, very yeah, true. Unconscious. Mm-hmm. So both of us
2: grew up Christian. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you still are, but I, initially mm-hmm. we both grew up Christian. And one of the rules mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, the golden rule.
1: <laughs> do, <laughs>
2: yeah. Do, do unto others as, uh, as you want them to do to you. Why do you think that this rule isn't effective?
1: Yeah, it's because it's based on just this teeny tiny assumption. And that is that we think the whole universe wants to be treated the way we want to be treated. And that's not the case. You know, we need to move to the platinum role, which is treating others the way they want to be treated. Well, what determines how they want to be treated? Their unconscious filters. So the only way for me to actually know how you want to be treated, Ty, is to know what are your unconscious filters. And then shift my filters in order to respond and be more effective with you. And, you know, that's actually one of the reasons why a lot of us get stuck is that we hear these kinds of things like the golden rule or, you know, lots of other mantras that we perpetuate with one another that come from those ineffective stages. But we hear it as, you know, this is the way we're supposed to talk about difference. Uh, We're supposed to say that we're colorblind. We're supposed to say that, you know, we're all just one human race and, you know, let's not look at the differences. Well, all of that perpetuates this lack of development and gets us stuck in just the third stage of the five stages. So that's one of the reasons we get stuck. We hear these kinds of messages like the golden rule, and then we just keep perpetuating them. So it's socialized all around us. The other reason why we get stuck is because developmentally it's a huge leap to move from that third to that fourth stage. I mean, I think about it developmentally like grade school to grad school. It's a big leap. So we've got to really do work to learn how to shift our mindsets. And again, that's what we lay out in the book Filter Shift.
2: Yeah. No, that's perfect. And your point on people saying colorblind, people saying focus on similarity, people mm-hmm. saying uh, um you know, that we're all the same is, is something that it, it it initially didn't irk me, but now it's becoming more something that does eat at me a little bit. So this is something I have to recognize. It's like a trigger point for me because saying that you're colorblind yeah. all of a sudden means that you're not recognizing color. You know, there, there is yeah. color mm-hmm. saying that we should focus solely on. I, I believe in find common goal, but saying that we should focus solely on similarities it Immediately negates the differences that may exist and how to appre doesn't that all of a sudden doesn't allow you to leverage or appreciate those differences so yeah, I, exactly. I think you have a great point about mm-hmm. that similarities and how it isn't helpful, and I don't know if you have any other thing to say on that and how we should move
1: yeah very definitely, it makes sense to if you think about it again developmentally. Because the second stage, just before we move into that wanting to focus on similarity in the third stage, the second stage is actually a real judgmental us-them kind of a stage. So I look at differences and I judge them. And then when I move out of that, I move into the stage of wanting to focus on the similarities. And so what's going on for me developmentally is, okay, now, when I do this good, bad, us, them thing, you know, I'm automatically, when I see an us, them, I'm attaching the value of good, bad, and I don't want to attach a value. So let's just pretend we're all us. And so let's just pretend that, you know, again, we all smile in the same language. Um, you know, we're, we're we're colorblind, that sort of thing. And if you really think about it, think about the message that that does send. And even how we say it, so I know like for me, one particular example, when I was young in my career and um, doing a supplier diversity program for an organization that I was working with, and all of the teammates that I had with the work that I was doing were all older white guys. They were all white, but they were all older, all men. I'm a younger woman. And what did they say to me all the time? Oh, Sarah, great to have you on the team, you know, because you just feel like one of the guys. That's a way, again, of focusing on the similarity. You you know, you notice that they don't say, it's so great to work with you because when we work with you, we feel like one of the gals. And the reason why, again, is because what our unconscious is doing is saying, oh, my gosh, okay, she's different. I don't want her to make her feel different, so let's tell her she's just like me. I don't think, oh, she's different. I don't want her to feel different, so let me figure out how she's different. So I can respond to her difference. Oh, That's great. the yeah. way we operate at the end yeah. stages when we're more effective.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is so true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you even just helped me recognize something that I didn't even recognize. Because I've used that one of the guys then before. And, I've, and, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of my female friends have used the oh you're just like a girl in because sometimes i I like a lot of romantic movies Mm -hmm. Uh yes that's great so when i'm watching that they're like oh just like a girl so i just it it didn't you know i didn't feel anyway because i've just grown up used to me having that dichotomy of loving sports and romantic movies and getting from both sides but i can i can see how that just doesn't validate the other side yeah
1: wow yeah exactly and Well, and particularly when, if I take that particular situation even, I was treated differently as the only woman. My ideas weren't ideas until they were said by one of them a couple of minutes after I said them. Ah. You know, I was left off of email chains. I wasn't – I was left out of decisions. But yet they say you're just like one of us. And so then – that's the other piece when you see that discongruency and you say, you hear them say you're just like us but yet you're treated differently and you're not really included in the one of us. That's the other piece that really has the rub and that's where then we can respond in ways that aren't really all that helpful either. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, this is this is this is an amazing
2: conversation. Not only do we have similar mission statements, but we we also have, uh you know, a similar career. And it's always fascinating when you can find these differences. Uh, here I am. I'm a black man. Uh, I'm uh-huh. a Nigerian living in New York City. And you are, you know, you're, you're a white lady who is <laughs> yeah. and who's doing the same work. And you're talking we're talking about yes. similar experiences. Yeah. Uh, now, here, where we we have a similarity here, it it's not that it's we're not eliminating the differences. We're just saying we are we come from different sides of the world, Yes. and we're approaching exactly. diversity in an interesting way by recognizing that even though we are similar, there are some things that we have to leverage across the differences. Um, that's, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hmm. And that you know that's a real good point because we're not saying to people ignore the fact that there are similarities because we find comfort in that. So we find comfort in saying, oh, yeah, you know, we've had similar work We're, we care about the same things. That, that's that's fabulous. But the thing is, we can't stop there. And that's what our unconscious tends to do, because our unconscious has to move fast. And so it's going to just go straight to, OK, we've got similar paths for our so similar work that we do. OK, so now I've got you all figured out. And I yeah. know exactly how you're going to respond and exactly what you're going to do. Well, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I just trust my if I just go with what my unconscious tells me, my unconscious isn't going to do much more work to figure you out now because it's going to say, no, nope, we know exactly who he is. Gotcha.
2: And that's not the case at
1: all. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I,
2: like I can't. Talk. I'm just geeking out over this comment. I have like cross cultural tears <laughs> of of joy on my face right now.
1: <laughs> but, Love it. <laughs>
2: but but uh, as we're, we're we're getting ready to hit this the winding down and in the interview here. But I'm I'm curious about your with your personal life. Obviously, this is not just a professional thing. This is a personal thing for you. You you are. In a, mm-hmm. in a mixed you have you said you have a mixed child you have a, mm-hmm. a, a husband that's a different race from you how mm-hmm. how does that go you know how does that how do you does your everyday life when you're talking to your daughter when you're talking to your husband and you're going into some environments that you grew up in where you know people might not be used to seeing that much difference mixed together
1: oh yeah well first of all it's really funny a couple of things uh you know Anytime that I point my husband out in in a crowd, and particularly it's really funny. This goes to that middle stage too where we don't want to talk about differences. So I've had a number of opportunities where I've pointed him out and he's with a whole bunch of other white folks. He's the one and only black guy, and someone says, Okay, which one's your husband? And so, you know, if I'm uncomfortable talking about differences, then what am I supposed to- to say it's like uh you know the guy that's kind of in the middle uh he's uh you know third from the left and uh, the, the you know like you get all uncomfortable well that's what happens again in that third stage now what i do is i just say oh the black guy and what's really funny ty is the kind of responses that i get more than anything it's the nervous laughter it's <laughs> 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 you know as if i as if i said something. Funny. But I know what's going on in their unconscious. Their unconscious is saying, oh, my God, she just said black. She's even married to one and she doesn't know she's not supposed to say that word. That's one of the things that we see quite a bit. We see folks that, you know, in those different stages of development, either comfortable or uncomfortable with us just plain talking about the fact that we're different. But the other one I've just got to share with you, particularly as another diversity practitioner, you're going to appreciate this. My husband it probably couldn't have a career more different than mine. He's a civil engineer. Wow. And so, you know, yes, he's from the Dominican Republic. He's lived in the United States for a number of years, over 20 some years. Uh, but he certainly is not a cultural competence expert. But I got to tell this story. One uh, A couple of years ago, we're we're in parent-teacher conferences, both my husband and I, and we're sitting down with my daughter's French teacher. And she's talking about, um, yes, so now, you know, we're going to be doing this lesson now that's all about culture. And she turns to my husband, she is only talking to him. And she's talking all about this, you know, these lessons they're going to be doing about culture. And she says, well, you know, and you know what I mean, right? You know, and then we're, and she's talking about using all of these cultural terms. And I can tell he's clueless. I mean, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, nodding his head, but I know he's clueless. And I'm over there thinking, I'm the one that knows. But you know, the typical is, well, what does this white woman know? It's going to be the black Dominican that knows all about culture, and and you know, there again, we're we're really not um, matching people's expectations for us, and even just the work that we do. Yeah. So I I laugh at those kinds of situations too, where where he's going to be seen as the the expert, and in lots of ways, you know, people that will give me credibility, even though I've got 25 years of experience of this. There are lots of people that only give me credibility because I'm associated with him, yeah. which I think is very interesting in our field as well.
2: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> and and to go on that point, I, you know, I was just leading a, last week. This is so timely. A lot of this, I had two talks. One was, on, I was speaking to a bunch of recruiters and HR managers about how to tap into the the talent pool you know there's always this talk about mm-hmm. it's it's too narrow that we can't find diverse and I was talking to them about their sourcing strategies and sort of the mindsets that need to have how it needs to be from the leadership they need to recognize biases it's it's a much more nuanced thing than just to simply say there isn't any talent and then um yeah in that audience there were you know they were predominantly white you know that that was, that mm-hmm. was the audience and they were very curious mm-hmm. it was, that was kind of the the uh the feel of the room the next day i was leading a panel on people of color of tech in new york city and the people ah yes and then people in the audience were predominantly people of color and yeah. and i immediately i had a mental note in my head and i was like why is it that people when it's the people of color and we don't see uh the people that have the power right so why don't we see white males yes. in the audience and yes, and and there was a lady that timidly asked a question. She was white. She said, "How? Uh, this might make this might sound bad or anything, but I, how can we make white people feel more comfortable in some of these things? Because sometimes oh. you talked about how they might feel shamed, blamed, and all that. And mm-hmm. there was a response from the audience where usually had two types of fronts. One, um, it was it was an African American lady said." It's yeah. not their job to make you feel comfortable. This is a reality that they do. That. Yes. And then there was another one yes. that said you should just go, you know, you should be you should be brave enough to to do this. This is actually work. These are your coworkers. Why should it be that yes. much stress? So I'm just curious. You're you're a white woman that deals with diversity and inclusion. And I'm uh-huh. sure you come across people maybe telling you in confidence that I agree, but I just don't know if I'm saying the wrong thing. I don't know what I'm saying. How do I even break Yeah. yeah.
1: So Elaborate. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there again, I think if we talk about it as this is not about good people and bad people or mean people and nice people. This is about developing an effectiveness. And guess what? The vast majority of us haven't been taught. White folks, people of color, gay, straight, we haven't been taught. And that helps when folks see it as that and and also realize that I'm not here to blame and shame you. And, you know, we're just going to talk about your effectiveness here. That is what makes it so much more accessible and so much more, uh, you know, I, I can engage in that uh, and really lean into it when it's, it's about that. But you're right. It's, it's not just about, you know, how do we make white folks uncomfortable? I think it's actually how do we all get more comfortable talking about differences and not only more comfortable, but again, more competent, more competent in how we talk about our differences. For sure.
2: And I think, you know, I definitely agree with the competency. I think that's one of the most important skills that we should develop in the 21st century. But I also think we all need to Mm -hmm. get comfortable being uncomfortable because diversity is going to be, I mean, there is no illusion that getting people from different backgrounds to think differently is gonna is not going to cause any conflict, but it's, it's pushing through mm-hmm. the conflict and realizing how that that could actually drive innovation, different thoughts, open your mind. So it's, you know, I'm never one to, to shy away from that, but there's health that can be gained from that. And we just have to be brave enough to say, oh, okay, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. That's a, that's a reality and I'm going to constantly do that because, yeah, I mean, because if you had done the same thing and said, yeah, if you'd done the same thing and someone attacked you that said, oh, you're white, I'm not listening to you you know, and you got, you got discouraged, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be talking on this podcast by your book.
1: So, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other thing that I think helps, I love this saying, I don't know where it came from, who said it first. I wish I could say it was my saying, but it's not. Uh, And thinking that, you know, while opportunities might, uh, situations might be gone, the opportunities are never lost. So, What keeps us many times from really putting ourselves out there is thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I might offend someone. I might say something stupid. And if you really think about it as, okay, so then you might have a situation that didn't go well, but the opportunity is never lost to rectify that. So I might even say something to you today and then think about it tomorrow and think, oh, shoot why did I say that? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. The the situation is long gone and I can't do anything about the situation, but I always have the opportunity to go back and actually dig into that conversation again and try to respond more effectively. So I think when we we think, you know, there, there's always not necessarily a chance for a do-over, but Knowing that there's always going to be another opportunity helps us to be a little bit take a little bit more risk in each of the individual situations.
2: Yeah, there's always a learning opportunity. We just have to be humble enough to recognize it and be willing to yes. actually, to actually recognize that. Um, great, so so true. Where can we find your amazing book, Sarah?
1: <laughs> you know what, folks can find it at wherever they normally buy their books, any of their favorite bookstores uh online or brick and mortar, they can also go to our my website, filtershift.com.
2: Filtershift.com, ladies and gentlemen, and the title of the book once more is Filter Shift How Effective People See the World. So Sarah, this has been great, but I can't let you go without asking this the question I ask all my audio all uh, my guests, and we've talked about it already. The mission statement of everything that I do, the foundation of my company podcast and consultant is is use your difference to make a difference. So, yeah. how do you, Sarah, use your difference to make a difference?
1: <laughs> I use my difference. Actually, I use my difference of whiteness mm. to make a difference in that um, white folks tend to be more comfortable with me, but I can also approach and actually dig deeper into situations of color And use that difference as a member of a mixed race family to really shine a light on what this is as we interact across difference, how our brains are working and really use that difference from the perspective of a white woman in a mixed race family and teach others how they can be more effective.
2: Sarah Taylor, ladies and gentlemen, just schooling us and filter shifting and, <laughs> and educating us on true cultural competency. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure of mine.
1: Thank you, Ty. It's been my pleasure as well. Thanks for much, so much for having me.
2: The pleasure is mine. Till next week, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the Ask told by Nomad's podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.